The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? Remember growing up as children and we're all taught like, you know, racism is over and Martin Luther King had a dream and, you know, yes, we can, Barack Obama. And so we kind of grew up in this age where it's like, it's not shocking that we're experiencing like this civil rights movement because if you've been paying attention, you'd realize that it's been bubbling this whole time. But it's definitely disappointing that that we haven't come very far from the 1960s as we watch like, like uh, racial disparity is at an all time high, like segregation in schooling districts is like terrible. And these things that we thought we'd overcome are clearly a fallacy. We watch, we, the prison system is obviously um, a way in which we subjugate a lot of, you know, people of color in the, in the world, in the country. So I would like to see all of that go away. <laughs> I would like to, I would like a utopia where racism does not exist. And if any, every single person on earth could do their part to combat this evil system, that would be great. That was a quick clip from this week's episode with Ziwe Fumado. I had such a lovely conversation with her and I can't wait for you guys to take a deep dive. However, I will say this. If you guys haven't been following along with me on Instagram, then you're going to need a little bit of context for this episode. Z-Way has this amazing Instagram live series going right now where she moved her YouTube show, which was great, um, over to Instagram. And basically she sits down with, well, now it's not just white people, but in the beginning, I believe it was predominantly white women to talk about race. And as you guys know, this is something that I am really passionate about. Um, and so when I asked Siway to be on this podcast, she said, well, I'll do it, but only if you come on my Instagram show. And to say I was nervous was an understatement. I think I must have blacked out for the entire thing. Because here's the thing, guys, when we start to do the anti-racist work, we have to first acknowledge how racist we are, our being present tense. I have done a lot of very problematic things a lot of which were in my teenage years, but it doesn't matter. We have to own up to them and we have to begin having these difficult conversations if we're going to get anywhere in this country. I consider Z-Way kind of this like cultural zeitgeist. She is a comedian and she has this brilliant mind, this ability to look at the time that we're in and analyze culture and turn it into something that's funny, but also holds our country and us as individuals accountable. She's talking about the issues that matter in a way that makes this content digestible, if that makes sense. So if you haven't already, please head over to Z-Way's Instagram and watch our interview. Part of it was really hard for me to watch back, but we absolutely need to as white women, um, And I think as a community in general, be willing to have these conversations with each other and to say, you know, I don't know the answer to that. And here's the racist stuff that I've done. And I'm on the path of doing better. So with that, I'm going to keep it short. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. And so here is the one and only Z-Way. Quick break from today's episode to talk to you guys about Saqqara. If you're looking to change up your diet, instead of focusing on restricting what you eat, what if you nourished your body with the healthiest and most nutritious food? With Saqqara, you're putting the best in your body so you can feel best. 
Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. Their organic, ready-to-eat meals are made with powerful plant-based ingredients. They are designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. The menu of creative, chef-crafted breakfasts, lunch, and dinners changes weekly, so you'll never get bored. And it's delivered fresh anywhere in the U.S. Along with delicious meals, Sakara also has daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support your nutritional goals. To boost results, try their best-selling Metabolism Super Powder, an all-natural remedy for bloating, weight gain, and fatigue. Sakara has received rave reviews from Vogue, Goop, and the New York Times, and even from me. You guys know that I tried Sakara and absolutely loved it. They are plant-based meals delivered right to your dorm. And for me as someone who eats paleo, mainly clean meats and lots of fruits and veggies, it worked out perfectly and made my meal prepping so easy. I am working from home. I'm super busy with two kids, but I still want to eat nutritious food all the time. So I only meal prep my protein for the week and then Sakara brings the heat with delicious food and all I have to do is add a little protein to my salads and I'm good to go. Right now Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash reality or enter code reality at checkout. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash reality to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash reality. Hi, I'm Shanae Alexander, host of Press Send, a podcast and more importantly, a safe and hilarious place for candid conversations about the scary, funny, heartbreaking, but always intriguing questions that make us all human. Each week, me and a new best friend you haven't met yet field your questions across any and all topics and offer our take on the matter with plenty of humor, heart, and badassery along the way. We launch a new episode of Press Send every Wednesday. We'll see you there. I don't even know where to begin. I definitely think I want to start with, first of all, how how you scored that very first interview that like broke the internet. Mm. And then what made you decide to make the transition from YouTube to Instagram? So I made the transition from YouTube to Instagram because basically the pandemic happened. It's March. I usually have a monthly show every like a monthly show on Thursdays of the last Thursdays of the month at Union Hall where I would do um, I would do my monthly show, which is a comedy called Pop Show. And I started seeing a bunch of, of my peers in comedy doing like Instagram lives where they would perform. Um, Sydney Washington had uh, one on su- every Sunday where she would cook for people um, and like have people interview her as she is cooking random dishes. And so I was like, oh, that's a cool way to like take the live shows that we've been doing in New York and put them online just so I don't stop up the, the pace of what I was doing. So I thought, hey, why don't I do a pop show online that didn't really hit that well. And so, and I didn't really enjoy that process. So I thought, what if I did like these race baiting interviews about race um, every Thursday? And I, I, I've been doing it since April, but it didn't really pop off until until maybe mid-May when I interviewed Caroline Calloway, Alison Roman, and Rose McGowan back to back to back. And that's where it really started to pop off. But I've been doing it for weeks before anyone really noticed. And I would just interview people, interview comedians I knew like Benny Drama and Nick Lehman and, you know, get like, you know, 400 views tops, like nothing caught, like nothing, nothing super wild. And then I did Caroline Calloway and that interview didn't have that many views in the message, but the the clips afterward went supernova viral. And then having yeah. Alice and Roman after that, then it suddenly became a phenomenon in a way that I loved, but didn't necessarily expect. What do you think made the Caroline interview become as viral as it did? I think that she just had really interesting quotes that I could not have predicted by any means. Yeah, her answers to the question were so earnest in a way that just really kind of hit at the point of the show, which is to have people honestly speak about their experiences with race. And so I think that really just connected with people. Also, Caroline Calloway is such a phenomenon. Um, Before I interviewed her, I obviously had been following her um, career via the like the cut interview with Natalie Beach. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah. So she's just a phenomenon. She is. She's really having a very odd moment right now in pop culture. Are you going to interview her on your show? 
Yes. Which wow. I think is interesting because I, for some reason, people think that I'm the only one that could like do a good job of it. I hope that I live up to the standards, but no, I was getting, I didn't even know who she was. And then I watched her not live with you, but like after the fact, and I just started getting a million DMs and like tags on her posts. Like you need to get into the head of this girl and like talk to her. And I think that's something that I'm, that I enjoy doing is kind of like getting into the psychology of, of who, of who people are. And I think she's definitely interesting. So we'll see how it goes. I don't know. I hope it's, I cannot wait to listen. I'm going to listen to that. That's going to be so fascinating. (laughs) I hope that I live up to everyone's expectations with that interview. So, and then after you had on, um, I saw the Rose McGowan one. And then when I saw the Alyssa Milano one, I felt this calling that I absolutely had to have you on the podcast. (laughs) What would you say so far your best Instagram live interview is? Who is it with? And do not say me. You don't have to say me. I was going to say you. you. No, but really. But it depends on, no, but I was actually going to say you you depends on how you qualify best because mm-hmm. I really enjoyed our conversation because it really came because I had a preconceived notion about who you were my audience had a preconceived notion about who you were and you sort of um you sort of turned that on its head like you were very surprising and how substantive how earnest how heartfelt it was and so I thought it was like the best combination of being both like earnest and vulnerable and real, but also really entertaining. So I loved our interview. I also loved Alison Roman's interview because she because of the way she was in the zeitgeist and um, for speaking negatively about Asian American um, Asians in her industry. And I just really enjoyed asking her questions that were really kind of tough. So I loved that interview. I thought it was really really funny to just have a moment where I'm talking to like a cultural lightning rod. Um, I like each interview for different reasons. I will say that Alyssa Milano one was the most stressful in real time to do because you're listening, because this was her first Instagram live ever. I'm listening to her in real time as everyone else is. And it's like, you don't want to be, as a host, I don't know if you had this experience, but I don't want to ever be rude. I want to make sure their guest has an opportunity to say their piece. But at the same time, she's she was very verbose. So it was like me listening to her in real time, being an active listener, but also making sure like, okay, how do I keep keep moving this conversation along because I have a set of like 20 questions. So that was the most, I had to really think very hard. It was a, it was a workout. That interview was a workout. Um, so I love my interviews for different reasons. Like they all have a special place in my heart. Caroline's I thought was like one of the funniest, like by far one of the funniest. Um, her quotes were so, so funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. Rose McGowan was really shocking because I did a lot of research on her beforehand. Like I read her book. So all of them are really special to me, but in such different ways. But yours was really, truly one of my favorites because it just went really deep and really, it was just really cool. Like I thought it was beautiful, honestly. I listened to it today, Z-Way, and I was like, um, the amount of times that I said, um, in this conversation is utterly embarrassing, but that's No, but okay. I loved it. It was, it was I thought, me do, do you spinning agree my that it wheels. was like a beautiful substantive? Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. like my wheels were spinning. And here's the thing that I love about the conversation that we had at the end of the day, because it's really hard. And if you guys have not um, listened, I highly suggest, or watched rather, I highly suggest you do. You can go on Z-Way's Instagram and not a lot of people know this. I don't know how, but it, there is an option to see your either posts, like your physical post or your Instagram live. So you got to make sure you're under the Instagram. People comment like, where can I find the the footage? It's IGTV. under, it's on IGTV um, and you can watch it. And here's what I love about it because it's an opportunity to have these really difficult conversations. It's an opportunity for white women to feel the stress, the pressure, the, the weight of, of society of, uh, you know, it, it almost like flips the, you'll, I'll never have the experience of being a black woman in the United States ever. And we can only hope that eventually we achieve equity and everybody is, you know, able to live and thrive in this country and all over the world. 
But it's like this moment of just where you feel like you want to be real and vulnerable and also you just don't even know what to say or how to operate or how to be or what the right answer is. And I really appreciate that. There was one thing when you were talking, oh, you were talking about the Alyssa Milano. Uh, Props to you for that because it is really difficult. As somebody who's a podcast host, you're definitely more of, um, you're a very thorough researcher. You're an incredible interviewer. Um, maybe you oh, should have a podcast. You. you should maybe have a podcast. Oh my gosh. Of your own. I don't know about that. I think I you think got it covered. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm more of like, let's just have a conversation and see where the conversation takes us. I do struggle with that. I struggle either talking too much or talking too little, or sometimes you have a guest that you're just like, you're not vibing with. And it's really difficult to like get into. We talk about really heavy things on this podcast, like, you know, assault and addiction, mental health issues, race and racism. We talk about a whole spectrum of things here. So sometimes it is hard. So my my hat's off to you because that was one thing my husband said to me um, before I went in because I didn't want to really prepare. And I told you that I just wanted to go in and be like authentic and just speak my truth. And you and really my experience. did. <laughs> well, we can dissect it. I, I think I, I think it would be really great if we did. But um, before I went in, my husband goes, just don't pull in Alyssa Milano and talk for like five and a half minutes after each <laughs> question. I appreciated her speaking, being that if that's her natural being is to be verbose. I love it because it's like, I'm just trying to show everyone in their natural habitat. I don't want anyone to put on errors. I don't want them to be anything they're not. They, I don't want anyone to pretend. It's like, if you are someone who like takes a question about how many black friends you have and starts talking about your time in South Africa, hey, let's let that <laughs> conversation go there because that is such an interesting case study because suddenly you're like, oh, well, what makes you the person that goes to that? line of reference when someone asks you that line of questioning. So I, Mm. I appreciate every perspective, like truly, I just, I, but I'm like someone who loves conversation. Like I, I actually think your podcast is really, really awesome. Like I listened to a bunch of episodes before interviewing you. And I just, I thought you were a really fantastic interviewer because of how deep you went. So I, I personally just like, and however anyone's style is, I like to match that energy. Like I will, Mm. I could talk to a brick wall and it would be an interesting conversation. Yeah. (laughs) because you have such a brilliant mind. Oh, thank Um, you. Okay, so I'd love to get into (laughs) our interview. And now that I feel like a lot more calm and not so heated, I can't believe that I said that I feel like I'm going to vomit and shit my pants at the same time on a live with 5,000 people watching. But that was my my truth (laughs) in the moment. That was my truth in the moment. I was sweating. I, I was... I was so nervous. I texted my husband like two minutes before, but then, you know what? The girl before me who like showed her notes made me really laugh. And then I was like a little bit light, lighter. Yeah. Oh my God. But my husband, I texted him. I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to pass out. I'm just going to pass out <laughs> on this live. I'm going to oh pass my God, out that'd on this be live. Iconic. <laughs> you know what it was? I knew, and we're just, we'll just go there. I knew you were going to ask me, have you ever done blackface? You've asked everybody. And... That was like, you know, when you have that one thing that just makes you feel like so much shame. And it's interesting because prior to my husband actually telling me that I did blackface, I had no idea what blackface was. That's how ignorant I was. And so when he told me this was after I've watched the no, it was before I watched the 13th. And then we watched the 13th, the, the year that it came out. But he told me and he told me the significance of that and the racist past and gave me the whole lowdown. And this like shame set in. And I it was like that secret that like I felt like I had to keep forever because it's just such a shameful thing to do. And so... Yeah, my adrenaline was going. I was like, this is going to go one of two ways. Either, you know, this is it. And I and I said to my husband, I go, I think I need to say this because I can't lie. Because in program, you know, you're only as sick as your secrets. And we don't lie when we're sober. We just don't do it. It, it will eat you alive. So it was like, I'm willing to risk my entire career right now 
And for anyone who wants context, and maybe we'll go into the context in a minute, maybe we won't, you can go back and watch the Instagram live where we discuss this a little bit further. It was like, I'm really, I'm really willing to like risk my entire career, my business, my husband's business, all of it. And it's just something that I have to say. So I don't know. It w- I'm the first person that's come on and just been like, yes, I've done blackface. What was your yeah, thought? <laughs> well, like, what was the first thought I've, that comes into your mind? <laughs> well, what's, what, what's wild is I've asked other guests who have done blackface and they've vehemently denied that, which I find really interesting. So I was really shocked by your, your there was one other guest who was really honest about having done blackface before and regretting it. So I really appreciated that honesty. I didn't know that was something in my research that I totally missed. So I was, I didn't know where we were going when you said, yes, I have done it. Um, and then discuss what the moment was and then apologize profusely. So I, I appreciated that because again, I am not trying to cancel anyone. I like, I don't, I don't believe in cancel culture. I don't, I don't know if people actually do get canceled, but I do think that we can take, we can have teachable moments. So I thought that was such an earnest, like beautiful moment to have you say, Hey, like, yes, I have done this. It was horrible. Other people don't be afraid to admit your wrongdoings and apologize because it's like, because we can't change the past, but we, what we can do is work towards a better future. So I, I, I was shocked. <laughs> I thought it was wild, but I, I love honesty. I'm looking for honesty on my show and I try to be an honest person every day. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, well, the reason you missed it is because like, who would have known that it didn't, it wasn't something that like came out. I, it wasn't something where like I had been canceled for this and now we're talking about it. Two things that you said that I think are really interesting. One, like, can we even name a white person that's actually been canceled? I can't think of one. I mean, Paula Dean is still selling cookbooks and she said the N word. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that. I saw one in my home goods. Okay. In my local oh my God. Home goods. Wow. Who knew? So like, I can't, I literally can't even think of like a single white person that's actually been canceled. And I'd love to know, um, and dive a little bit more into that because I think a lot of the people who have been on your show are white people who have been essentially canceled, but not really. In quotes, because it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's it's loose because I think you have, what does cancel culture mean? It means that you get a bunch of press, you're trending on Twitter. Um, like, I understand if you lose your job, then maybe that's cancel culture. But ultimately, I think most people will be fine. <laughs> I think people who are in positions where they are canceled um, have enough of uh, infrastructure to sustain years. <laughs> well, and of, that's on white supremacy, right? Like, yeah. Do you think cancel culture is at all like truly effective? I mean, cancel, I don't believe in that terminology, but I, I believe in the, I believe in the actions of holding people accountable. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that sort of cancel culture has been roped into this overall like mob mentality, like cha- a way to chastise mob mentality when that's not exactly what everyone is doing. Like, I think that there's a difference between holding people accountable for the racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, ableist things that they do. I think that's different than saying like, I disagree with you and you're bad and you should lose your job. I think those are two separate categories that have been lumped into one overarching umbrella. Um, but if you're asking me, do I believe people should be hold- held accountable? Yes, every day. I, I hope people hold me accountable for the things that I do wrong because again, no one is perfect. So I think that what we have to do as humans is say is acknowledge that we're not perfect and apologize and learn and pledge to do better. So that's where I'm coming from. That's where I'm coming from always. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I was listening to this woman um who was talking about this on Instagram, or I should say I was reading. Um, from this woman who's talking about this on Instagram and she's um, a psychologist and uh, you know she's someone who's like trauma-informed that I enjoy following and she said something really interesting she goes shame is something that's so crippling and when people feel shame sometimes they do this like fawning behavior where people become really submissive because they get scared from like the pressure of and the weight of being held accountable. And so it leads to like temporary action that is not actually doing the work. Because sometimes when you feel that pressure of like, oh, okay, and you see it, you see it on your show. And I think you just see it in general in um, society. Somebody gets called out for whatever it might be. And then they give this like bullshit apology, but then there's like no action behind 
and really no lasting change. So they become kind of this like infantile and revert to this like infantile kind of fawning behavior because they feel the pressure, but it actually doesn't lead to change. So there's a difference she was saying between shame and guilt. Guilt is the idea, and we, you know, I've talked about this on the show before, of like, I've done something bad, but I'm not a bad person. And shame is feeling like I've done something bad and now I am a bad person. And that shame can be crippling. And so you should feel guilty for, and I hope anyone who's listening to this and anyone who watched that live recognizes that the the intention behind me going there was to say like, I feel a lot of guilt about a lot of the stuff that I have done. Like we talked about microaggressions. We talked about my tattoos. We talked about lip filler, which is, I would like to go there next because I think that's really interesting. That was such um, an interesting question. Too, it was a great like question. Yeah. It was a great question. And so we covered all of these topics and I just want people to hopefully be inspired to do their own inner deep dive and start doing the work and to not feel shame around it. I'm hearing a lot of like my white friends who are like, oh, it's an embarrassment to be white. It's like, we're not trying to go there. Like it doesn't, like white people are embarrassing. Yes, absolutely. But like, as in, like, it's not, I don't think that's helpful. I don't think it's helpful where it's like, oh my God, I'm embarrassed of my like race. I'm embarrassed. You know what I mean? Like I feel so much shame around being white now. And it's like, that's not helpful. Like that's not really aiding us on the journey of, of reaching that equity and reaching that, like for people to want to actually be allies and to get uncomfortable and to do the necessary steps that it takes to be helpful. So yeah, you came prepared with an incredible, um, real, I mean, the whole, did your mom Andrea walk so Chris Jenner could fly question was, <laughs> how do these things come to you? Like, well, do you I'm, just I'm like comedian. dissect a person? I know you're hilarious, but like, <laughs> how, like what's the stream of consciousness? Like you start doing your research on someone, like what yeah. does it look like? Well, so you were my favorite guest to research also because I got to watch Pretty Wild, which was like this, I would do that like on my own without having to interview one of the characters on the show. So this was like, the, this was so much fun to me. Like what a grift that I could set myself up to like watch TV as research. And that's what I'm doing for Taylor Nolan as well, who I'm interviewing in like two weeks. But um, what my train of thought is, I just am real. I I live and breathe pop culture, and then I have this hyper focus in race. That's just what I studied in college. That's what I read. That's what I like. Love to ex exist in my art with. So I am always kind of trying to connect pop culture and race. Um, and then media studies and like my examination of media because I'm someone who loves what, like loves the idea of ads and like what is happening with relations, how are people maneuvering to protect themselves. So I, all of that I find endlessly fascinating. So if you're asking me, how do I write a question like, what did Andrea walk so Chris Jenner could run? Well, it's because I saw Andrea on Pretty Wild and I'm just, she starts to remind me of a character that I'm familiar with. Oh, Chris Jenner. Oh, there's actually a lot, there's a lot of similarities in the way the show's, the both on E and the way the shows, the, the way that we see young women on those shows. And so that, it just led me to the natural, natural connection. But fundamentally, like I'm a comedian. So that's also just something that makes me laugh. Like that's such a funny joke. And so I turn funny jokes into questions and yeah. offer my guests an opportunity to answer or not answer. And that just creates a really funny environment, hopefully. Another amazing one was, um, is, was your involvement in the bling ring reparations, <laughs> which was, I was think it, um, is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To me, it's just like, it's, I mean, yeah. Cause it's like, well, if you're, if you're robbing like really wealthy celebrities, like what, what does that mean? What does that mean in the context of like 2020 America where like 30% of Americans, um, missed their rent last month and were like, mass homelessness, homelessness is like a huge issue. And like, we're in a, the middle of a deep recession. So it's like, how do I contextualize the bling in modern history? That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make like all these like super heady things. I think about class and race and gender into something really palatable and accessible and try hopefully radical, but who knows? I don't know if I succeed, but I try. I think it is very radical and Thank I you. loved it. And you know what my husband said? And I think that, okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, my husband said, he goes, you guys were like the modern day 
Robin Hood. You know what I mean? He's like, like that's that's how he that he just he always thought he was like. I don't know. There's something to be said. Of course, it's terrible. Like the whole situation was horrendous, and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's all of it's all of that. Mm. Um, but it was definitely interesting. Especially he goes, especially the Paris Hilton one, because it took like so many times of her going to her house for her to even recognize that anything was even stolen. So it's just really, it's certainly interesting. It was definitely, it's complicated because on the one hand, it's like, I do not, do not want to like, fundamentally, I want to come out against uh, larceny, grand larceny mm-hmm. theft. But then it's like, I was watching the bling ring, the film, and then the characters had so much stuff. And it's like, well, should anybody have this much stuff? I don't know. I don't have the answer to these questions, but I love posing those questions. Like that's what gets me excited as an interviewer. I love that you love posing them. And I love the audience question about lip injections. So I want to know, have you thought more about that since the interview? And what are your thoughts? I mean, I don't know what my thoughts are. And I am very comfortable saying I don't know the majority of the time. I Sometimes I get upset because it's not fair the way that like white women get to use black features for like incredible fame and success and money. Um, Because I remember being bullied as a kid for having big lips, for having thunder thighs, for like, you know, having a large nose. And, and now these things are considered like gorgeous. So it's, it's, I don't think it's fair, but where do I stand on limbic injections? I don't know. I think if you're getting your, your lip done, make sure they look good. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Make sure that they don't look like shit. Uh, make sure they're not bleeding out. But as far as should white women be able to get lip injections, I don't know. But I can, from my perspective, I get a little bitter Betty when the things that I was made fun of as a kid um, are now in vogue. And the idea that like having a big ass is like, quote unquote, in when it's not something I can control, you know, like I had a fat ass when I, before I was sexualized, when I, just cause I have a big booty, like that's how I was built. So the idea that body parts that exist are a trend. I don't know if that's fair. I, and I honestly probably racist. I don't think it's fair either. And that was the point I was trying to make with the whole like dreads commentary. It's like, I'm sorry, white people. I don't think we get to wear dreads until black people can freely wear, if at all, until black people can freely wear their hair however the fuck they want to and not be kicked out of school for it or not lose a job because of it or not, or not, or not, or not. I mean, that's... That's my thoughts. <laughs> That's my thoughts. I know. I love the facials. I can't. I, I, the highlight for me, and I don't remember the exact part of it. Do you remember where it was when you zoomed in for, in my interview? It was so good. So I good. don't even remember. But did you read the Vulture recap of our interview? Did you read that? I did. I did. And I actually, yeah, I really liked it. What were your thoughts? I, so I try to skim it because I take things too personally. So it's like, yeah, are you sensitive? What's your sign? I'm a Gemini rising Sagittarius. Gemini rising Sagittarius sun. And what's your moon? I have no fucking idea. Okay. But Gemini's are terrifying to me. Um, (laughs) I'm on the cusp of cancer. I was born the day before cancer. Okay, let's lean Shift. towards cancer because the Gemini is terrifying. <laughs> Although Gemini's are the hottest sign. Scorpios and Gemini's are hottest. Um, but I so I take things really emotion personally. So I like yeah. skimmed it and I love the writing. I think it's so fantastic. Anyone who's interested in like digesting what the interview was that we did, uh, feel free to go read the New York Magazine recap. But um, it's I mean, it's fascinating. It's, it's fascinating to have people analyze my art <laughs> because it's like, oh, when I said this, that wasn't my intention. I I have something different in mind, but um, you just have to create it and then let it go into the ether. You just let it live, you and you let, let it, it you let it take its own and become its own thing. Which... But I'm controlling. I'm like vehement. I'm so controlling. I would like if I could, I would write the vulture recap myself. But that's not. <laughs> that would be um, wild. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wait. What was the question? Oh, so, when I was like zooming into the camera, I have no idea. I have no idea. 
So the recap was great. What'd you think they, of it? They, it was good. So for anybody who's listening, um, there was a moment where like I totally tripped over my words and someone asked me like, how many Native American women do you know or people? Which is so embarrassing that the first thought wasn't Triana Brown, who's come on my podcast, who is half Native American and half black. Like, are you fucking kidding me, Alexis? But I just like froze in that moment and like could not. I'm surprised that I could have thought in that moment of five um, black artists. Mm. Like I, the fact that I said Ray Charles, like that I don't even come from. <laughs> that was wild. Don't even, <laughs> not even sure where that came from. It was just like, you know, it's just like stream of consciousness, right? It's just like, you've got to go, you've got to go for it. Um, but I said, my, um, I said my husband's fiance and his kids and they talked about for a full five minutes, everyone was just like reeling in the comments and I could see the comments going really crazy. And so I was like, what is going on here in this comment section? Like, what did I say? And yeah. Iconic. Um, I don't know. So um, the other question that I had for you, which I thought was something that I don't didn't know how to respond to, which a lot of it I didn't. I just went with whatever first came to mind um, was the Ryan Cabrera question. Oh, yes. <laughs> OK, so can do you remember the question off the top yeah, of your of head? The, well, the question, because I had watched Pretty Wild like the day before. And yes. so the one your 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 character said something along the lines of like Ryan Cabrera is so hot, he can get whoever he wants. And so I use this as an opportunity to talk about white beauty standards and how this Ryan Cabrera was at one point a symbol of like of beauty, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to leave my opinions about that to myself, but I didn't have, I didn't have an answer. Cause I was just like my brain that like warped my brain. I was like, wait, can Ryan Cabrera get whoever he wants? And like in 2020, or are we talking about in 2010? And like, it was just, yeah. I love that. I love that. I thought that he that's was definitely, he was definitely an early 2000s vibe. Right, oh, of like, course. He, I mean, he was an he had bops like Ryan Cabrera. I'm looking up his songs. He had that song. What songs did he had? I, I mean, have no he idea. Had, he had one that was like a big one. I know for sure was a big, big hit. On the way down. On the way down. On the way down. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, he, exactly. he had a moment in the mid 2000s, like him and Jesse McCartney were on Jesse one. Jesse McCartney. Yes, shout out to Jesse McCartney of shout Summerland. Out. Where are yeah. you? I want to know where you are, Jesse. Um, okay, so let's, can we dive into like allyship? Sure. Okay. So what does a white ally ideally look like to you? I don't, I don't know what an, a white ally looks to me. Like Someone, what would you like to see? My, a better question maybe is like, what would you like to see from white women? Like, what would you um, like to see from us? I would like to see every white woman hand me a hundred dollars so then I could exist with generational wealth. That's what I would like to see, but that's not realistic. So what the realistic version of that, um, I would like to see white women protect the brown people in their lives that they know and don't know. Yeah. Reparations. I would like to see equity. I mean, it's so disappointing. I don't, like remember growing up as children and we're all taught like, you know, racism is over and Martin Luther King had a dream and, you know, yes, we can, Barack Obama. And so we kind of grew up in this age where it's like, it's not shocking that we're experiencing like this civil rights movement, because if you've been paying attention, you'd realize that it's been bubbling this whole time. But it's definitely disappointing that that we haven't come very far from the 1960s as we watch like uh, racial disparity is at an all time high, like segregation in schooling districts is like terrible. And these things that we thought we'd overcome are clearly a fallacy. We watch we, the prison system is obviously um, a way in which we subjugate a lot of member, you know, people of color in the, in the world, in the country. So I would like to see all of that go away. <laughs> I would like to, I would like a utopia where racism does not exist. And if any, every single person on earth could do their part to combat this evil system, that would be great. Yeah. 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 Um, That's a hard question. It's like, well, when, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, 
I think it starts when I really dissect that for me as a white woman, I would definitely say that. And, you know, the vast majority of this audience is white women. Mm. Um, Shout out to y'all. Shout out. Hopefully you guys are with me on this. I'm sure you are. Because guess what? I've been talking about race on this podcast pretty frequently, like since the beginning of it. And the numbers have not been dropping off. So you guys are here for it. And we're grateful. We're grateful that you're here. I think first, and I talked about this when we did our live, is like really looking at my own racism, like my racist past, my current microaggressions, the things, those thoughts that pop into your head. It was really interesting when we were talking about me going to jail and like how I really thought that it was going to be like this race war. And then when I showed up, so maybe my answer to you saying like, when did you wake up to racism was way before five years ago when I became a doula and started educating myself about um, how many black women were dying at an alarming rate in this country. It was going into jail and then realizing a couple of days in that I'm actually the safest person in this entire facility. Wow. That was like a huge moment for me when I realized, you know, and I would hear all of the chaos and I would hear the way the guards would be just like blatantly and outwardly racist and I saw it. I saw it in the infirmary when people were receiving health care. I saw it throughout the entire system down to our strip searches, right? Like the way that strip searches were done for women of color versus for us white women. So, and the privilege that I had of being put in solitary confinement and in protective custody and we can just go on and on. I think when it comes to allyship. It first starts with us doing the work. It starts, and for me as a mother, really, and I hope people are starting to wake up to the need to do this, is like, we might not be able to change our generation, but we can change the next. Like raising anti-racist children is not easy. Um, I actually read an article today, like, how do you respond when your children say X, Y, and Z? Like, why is their hair so poofy? That's something my five-year-old has absolutely said. My um, incredible nanny, Peyton, my daughter has said in front of both her and I, and it led to an amazing dialogue. She asked Peyton, why is Peyton's skin darker than mine? You know, like kids just have these questions. Mm. And so we can take that as an opportunity. Not everybody, and I know this came off really arrogant and I like, want to slap myself for saying this on the live about homeschooling, like, and taking my children out of public school. My intention with that is because I am, I'm over our fucking education system. And it is an absolute privilege to be able to do that. But I think it starts with these really tough conversations that we need to start having. And it's like, it's not enough as I know Taylor is coming on your your show. And she said this on mine, it shouldn't take a black man dying for you to fucking care. I mean, Taylor had a point. Taylor has a lot of points, and yeah, I, man. I I really adore her, and um, and I'm so glad that we've been able to have the these interesting conversations. What I like about that point from Taylor um, is that we have to make sure what we're doing is sustainable, right? So it's like the George Floyd protests. It's, it's been revolutionary the way that there are every single states had movements and people hitting the streets to like protest um, inequality. I appreciate that, but it's like we have to make sure that we can keep this up a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the line, because it's not something that you can just start and stop at a whim. Um, it has to be a lifetime commitment. Yes. And and so moving on from doing our personal work and our working for our children, being a part of protests voting, voting against, and I said this in the live, and I hope people really get this. Every time that you vote for super progressive candidates as a white person, it's interesting because when talking about privilege, we have to talk about economic status. You know what I mean? Like, I think that it's a thing of the past where we could say like, while it's true that white people are far more well-off and wealthy and protected in this country financially than people of color, there is a growing, a rapidly growing number of white people who are becoming 
poor or on the brink of poverty. I think it was AOC that said on The View that it's close to like half of the country makes $40,000 a year or less. And like, how can you even survive off of that? So voting against, like it is not an, as a as a wealthy white upper middle class woman, it is not in my best interest financially. And I understand, you know what I mean? But like, I can't think about my finances when we're dealing with what we're dealing with. It honestly doesn't fucking matter any anymore because the truth is we're not going to achieve peace or you know, progress at all if we don't pay up, honestly, is what it is. And it goes beyond to, you know, wealth distribution and and financial reparations. It's like, we need to start, I believe, personally, if you can, paying out. I mean, and that's why I made the decision when I launch all of the merch for RFR, 10% of all of that is going to go to people of color. So it's, it's voting, it's finances, it's doing the work, it's raising children who are aware of what is really going on in this country. And I hope that my listeners are on the other end of this shaking their heads. Yes, I'm committed to doing this work. Another thing that I thought was, um, good that that was in that New Yorker article is that they talked about privilege and like how we talked about the fact that like I'm someone who's been through a ton of trauma. So it was really hard to understand what privilege was when I was someone who grew up with such chaos. And so it's like, I think a lot of people even in 2020 are still really there where they're like, I don't want to hear about privilege because my dad was an alcoholic and he raped me and my mom was a raging drunk and we grew up on food stamps in Alabama. You know what I mean? I think people are still there. Yeah. I think it's hard to conceptualize privilege, especially if you've had a tough life Um, and no one's like discrediting how hard anyone's life is, but rather saying that like, that there are ways in which our system benefits others and oppresses others. And it's, it's up to us to work towards leveling the playing field for others who've had tough lives as well, regardless of skin or class or whatever. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's really, it's all really complicated stuff. My favorite fun fact that I learned um, in college, like in African-American studies bullshit class was about how the majority of the people who like fought, um, fought for slavery in the South in like 1860 um, were not people who owned slaves. Um, it was, it, they, they weren't, they, they were employed to do so by, you know, the owning class. Um, so it's like, you kind of are looking for an enemy that it maybe isn't your enemy, but yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, are you open to talking about politics? Sure, let's do it. Okay, so let's first have a laugh at me that I couldn't remember Bernie Sanders' name on the spot. That was very funny. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, and my husband voted for, and Bernie Sanders' name went right out of my head. My husband voted for, I can't remember. I cannot remember. Um, he's a big Bernie fan over here in this household. Um, and I voted for Elizabeth Warren, who I feel like is, progressive and then everybody in the comments was like absolutely not why isn't elizabeth warren progressive i mean it's I, I think it's all relative right because it's like she's progressive in comparison to say like joe biden, joe biden? yeah exactly but maybe there are there are definitely people who swing way more left than her um but I, these are the options we got at the top of the election year so it's like you kind of make do with what you make do yeah i i wanted a woman First and foremost, I feel like the way out of where we're at is humanity. I feel like if women had been at least um, equally in charge of the development of the United States, slavery, especially women of color, um, and that's a whole other part of this. It's like, why didn't any women or people of color in general make it to these top candidates? But I, I really wanted a woman and I thought, I don't know. I thought she was progressive. Um, I mean, in comparison, for sure. Yeah, she was, she was more progressive than Joe Biden. That's for sure. Yeah. 
So what do we do now um, that Joe Biden is our nominee if he wins? Like how, what, what would Z-Way like to see out of this next four years? Universal health care. Yes. That's it. That's, I mean, there are so many more things. Mm-hmm. I'm, there are so many more things, especially in consider, considering the pandemic and the fact that like so many Americans have lost their jobs and they've just gotten like one, like one time $600 checks and they're supposed to like feed their family for months, which I think is just, I don't think that's cool. So, but universal healthcare, I don't think that anybody should go bankrupt um, for getting the insulin that they need, for getting the medical treatment that they need. So that's something that I, I believe in universal basic income as well. Yeah. I was just um, going to ask you, do you support a UBI? I do too. Yeah. I do. Mm-hmm. I just, I just don't think, I just don't think it's right that people are starving in the streets. Like, I just don't think that's right. It's not. I agree. I yeah, agree. So- and, and there's tangible ways to get us to a UBI. Like, I think everyone goes UBI or universal healthcare. Shout out to Z-Way's song, Universal Healthcare. Check it out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So there are ways to make this happen. I think people see these items and they go, this is impossible and we can never do it. It is totally possible to have universal healthcare and even a UBI. Well, I just think that what what our current system is doing is untenable. We cannot go on like this. Um, we cannot go on like this. We can't have mass evictions if there's a pandemic. What if there's another pandemic? So I just think that if if something's got to give, um, and it is our responsibility to re- protect the most vulnerable people, people um, in our society, <laughs> I think that that's just an obligation. And I think, hey, throw those taxes up. Like, let's do it. Like, because I just, it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. It's not acceptable that someone could serve for the country and like fight in wars and then come back to no house, come back to no healthcare. Just good luck. Thanks for your, thanks for your service. We support the troops, but nothing. I just don't think that's cool. So I, yeah, I think everybody should have healthcare. (laughs) And that's, I think that's like the, I think that that should be like the new hot girl shit. Like, like the hot girl vibe is like everybody has healthcare, everybody has income that can provide for their family, everybody has right to like a good education. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that that we talk about this often on the podcast is just how much as a society, I think America, the reason why we're in a lot of the messes we're in is because um, it's about individualism. We celebrate the individual over the collective. I'm going to pick three of these questions, audience questions that people have for you. Someone wants to know why um, you ask about the same, can you identify these next, is it like five black people that you do or six? Yeah. Why you don't switch it up? That was the biggest question that everybody asked. Really? I, I, because I mean, there are a myriad of reasons. I like to see what, if my guests, um, research the show, I like to see what they've learned from the shows prior. If they repeat the answers, um, that's one. I, I think the respective people that I talk about, Mar- like Martin Luther King versus Malcolm X versus Shirley Chisholm, um, Marcus Garvey, they all, I, I'm not really casting a judgment on, are these people good or are they bad? I just want you to, I want to know if my guests are aware of like black history in this regard. That's why I'm consistent, but I've had to add new names um, because, because people start to pick up on my trends. But yeah, that's I that's why I don't change the the questions. Also, I'm lazy. And so I do I produce this show myself. So I'm the researcher for the show. I'm the talent for the show. I book the show. Um so I just copy and paste the question every week <laughs> because it's like consistently gets good funny answers. Okay, so I'm going to be brave and ask this one because you said that you're all about being accountable. Someone asked, sure. "Why do you ask your guests about Lewis is it, I'm going to blow this last name, Farrakhan, Farrakhan, when he is openly anti-Semitic and anti-gay. And misogynistic. Yeah, again, I, that's not an endorsement of asking, that's not, I'm not endorsing this person. I think that he's a terrible person. Um, I, but I want to, I recently saw a rash of celebrities post videos of Louis Farrakhan without any awareness of who he was. Um, and it's, that's to me is so laughable. Like how could you endorse this person and not have, have any idea who this person is? And so seeing a bunch of celebrities do that two weeks prior, um, I wanted to see if my guests knew who they were. And uh, yeah, I wanted to see if my guests know who they are. Um, I don't think he's a good person. Yeah. But but I think that it's like, if you know black history, you should know that he is anti-Semitic and homophobic and misogynistic like that those are important facts i'm not 
trying to celebrate him at all. I'm just trying to um, educate. Okay. Last two, because they're both good. One, what is the problem with Sean King? I mean, Sean King is, is incredibly controversial, I would say. I don't know him personally, Ken, so I cannot speak to who he is, but there have been a rash of literature about where his funds go. I don't know where his funds go. And that's, and a lot of questions have been posed as to that. So I just think it's interesting to see like, who are the prominent like black figures, white figures um, in media? And what do you think about them? Do you know who they are? So I'm not saying that he's bad or good. I'm just asking, do people know where this person is contextualized in American history? I think it definitely makes you think that you need to be very, and there have been a lot, my friend Ashley, she always says this, like, Alexis, you can't just go follow like every single like person, right? Like you need to be aware and to be really conscious of the things that you're doing. I think people just get on these like social media trains of like, oh, we're all following this person now. And like this person, you know what I mean? It just becomes this everybody jump on and let's go. And you have to be really, um, you have to use your critical thinking skills. Exactly. I think that there's, there is a trend in social media. I mean, it's, it's just like the, the chain disorder where you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know enough. Click, click, click. Okay. These are the people that I get all my information from. And I mean, they're being retweeted, so they must be popular. And I think that what I'm trying to present is that we need to practice discernment. And not just because you know a person's name doesn't necessarily mean that they are a leader in the Black community, doesn't necessarily mean it's, it mean that the, you know their intentions are good. And we just need to like take everything with a grain of salt and question what's being presented in front of us. So again, I really am not trying to make judgments on anyone, but I'm trying to pose the question to my audience, who are these people and why should you know who they are and what is the value that they bring? And is that worth a follow? Yeah. And then the last question, which might be my favorite is where do you get all your great clothes? My clothes? I mean, it depends on the, it depends on the piece thrift stores. I I mean, you can't go thrift stores shopping anymore just because of like um, the pandemic, but a lot of my stuff is from like when, from like 2014, like thrift store shopping. Uh, Sometimes people send me clothes, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah, I will say you always come with a great look. Um, oh, thank you. you. Have I love your Hill. look on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> I just put on a little like nice top. I wanted to like, you know, bring bring the energy, bring the vibe. Um, support your vibe, I guess I would say. Um, <laughs> most of the time I look like this with a ponytail and just a t-shirt on. So who's coming up that's really exciting on the show? I think I'm really excited for Taylor Nolan mm-hmm. um, because so I used to be a huge Bachelor in Paradise fan. Huge. I used to watch, I, that was my favorite Bachelor show. I didn't really watch Bachelor or Bachelorette, but I love Bachelor in Paradise. But I stopped watching after the Corinne, the Corinne issue with the consent and drunkenness. And that just made me really viscerally uncomfortable about like what I was contributing to in unscripted television. And I've been, it's made me question um, how, whether or not I'm part of the problem or the solution. And so I would like to talk to a black woman who went through that system and what, and what that experience was like for her, because I just think that she, and also listening to her, her on your podcast, I just thought she was really insightful. So I'm really interested to see her perspective and just really ask her questions. I'm, I'm really like someone who's about like exploring people's perspective. Like I really try not to cast judgment. I just try to learn more about where people are coming from. That's just me personally. That's how I function as like a host for me to be a good host. And every host is different. Some people have to cast judgment, but I just need to see, I need to see perspective. And that's how I'm able to ask really intense questions. Like, did you wear blackface or how many black friends do you have? Or, you know, what do you like qualitatively about black people? I can't get to that place unless I've, unless I've like really sat in that person's shoes and researched the hell out of them. Yeah. I think you're brilliant. And I, and I, and I think that, um, it's been interesting to watch. There is no right answer to any of these questions. Like how many black friends do you have? Like, like so many, I mean, 
Yeah. I mean, and qualitatively, what do you like about black people? I stumbled on that. I'm like, is this, do I answer this or do I not answer this? I don't know. I don't, I don't know what you do, but I love the fact that you go there. I personally think you're brilliant. I think the world would be a better place if we all had a more open mind and started asking these questions and getting really inquisitive about structures and what's been happening for as long as it has. And like, why don't I have more black friends? Why is my community and my, the people I surround myself? Why do they look the way that they do? Why is this like this in my workplace? Having those questions, I think, you know, if you're willing to be there, if you're, if you're asking the questions, then you're willing to explore. And I think we all need to be willing to explore more, which is why I think you're so great and that your Instagram live was so great. And I am, I was an honor to be a guest and thank you so much for having me. And it was an honor to have you as a guest. It was an honor to have you a guest as a guest on Recovering from Reality. And I just appreciate you so much. So now it's time to plug. I do have a website. GenerationZWay.com is my website. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it has just like press and stuff, like whatever videos. Um, follow me on Instagram at ZWayF, Z-I-W-E-F. At Twitter at Z-I-W-E. What else do I do? I think that's pretty much it. Where can everyone yeah. listen to your bomb ass oh, music? No, yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh, my music. Oh, it's on spot. It's on all streaming platforms. Generation Z-Way is the name of my album. I have hit singles like Universal Healthcare, Make It Clap for Democracy. Um, Yeah, Ponderosa with Amarosa. It's a really, it's a fantastic time. Love it. And thank you so much for having me. Before I I, I leave, I realized I didn't ask you this on my live, but I want to ask you this. Okay, yes. Can I get you saying, Z-Way, this is Alexis Nyers calling? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, Z-Way, this is Alexis Nyers calling. Ah! Oh my God. I I'm iconic. I feel like I've been touched by an <laughs> angel from pop culture. This is what an experience. This week's affirmation is, I choose grace. I am empathetic towards others and myself. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at Recovering From Reality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com. 